0: This is 94.3 WRHD FM, Farmville, Washington, Greenville. Broadcasting to the Pirate Nation and beyond at 943thegame.com. Do you live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo, on 94.3 the game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 943theGame.com. Now,
1: here's your host, Stephen Igo hi right, welcome in to this Thursday May 25th edition of hoist the Colors on 943 the game we got a fun show for you coming up in our next segment we're going to visit with Amanda Moore the women's lacrosse coach at East Carolina who's coming off a career uh, best season a program best season 10 wins the most in program history in their six years so we'll visit with Amanda Moore here shortly we also got to talk a lot of pirate baseball East Carolina, with a big win late into the night, we'll get into the scenario that led to the delays and so much more. Uh Philip Pilkington is in studio with me. And Philip, it was a late night for all of us, certainly for the team. You were producing the game on ninety four the three or four three the game. And uh I guess the main thing is ECU finished with a win, which they needed to do, but a long day of baseball yesterday.
2: It was, and, you know, they had to overcome some adversity there, um, especially getting down early, letting up the Grand Slam. You know, you kind of mentioned it to me before the show, really, Cincinnati just got two swings off. I mean, you at yeah. all the stats, the played better, but, uh, you know, they didn't let those two swings affect them. They didn't let either delay affect them. I mean, obviously, they have the four-hour rain delay, and you come back, and Danny Bills in the middle of an inning, and the power goes out, so um, that was a little weird, but obviously he came, in, he came in after that, and he, you know, he finished that inning off, and... Pirates rallied, and big thing is when they got the lead, they didn't allow any more runs from the Bearcats, and that has kind of been their kryptonite over the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about the decision to go to Trey Savage. I think Cliff Goblin was just, hey, we're not going to let this ninth inning collapse happen again, and the ECU ace comes in and closes the door for the 9-6 win. We'll get into the path ahead if ECU can find a way back out of the loser's bracket. And so much more. We are live on YouTube. We're live on Facebook. We are live on 943thegame.com, live on Twitter, and live on the IBX media app. So we are hitting all the platforms. If you've got a question, you can tweet at me or Philip. Uh, find us on social media. Also drop in a comment on YouTube or Facebook and we will address that. You got a question on ECU baseball? Let us know. You got a question on pirate football? Let us know. You got a question on ECU lacrosse. For Amanda Moore coming up in our next segment around 1215, let us know and we'll get that to her. So, uh, big win though for, for ECU, Phillip, because I feel like, and there were some on the, 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 hey, let's just see the pirates go to and out and come home and rest up. Well, if they would have done that, they would have had to take about 11, 12 hour bus ride back today, uh, cause Cliff Goblin was not gonna wait on the charter down in Florida. So I, I think, you know, you can make an argument. I kinda, I, I refuse, I kinda look at it as like a, a win-win situation. If you lost the game, you do get that rest. But at the same time, you do want to get some momentum. You don't want to just go into the postseason 0-2. and, 2 and um, you know Certainly, ECU has won a regional after going 0-2 in the conference tournament. But I think winning the game is, is the ultimate goal at the end of the day. You don't want to go out and lose.
2: Yeah, and it, you know, the hard part is you don't know how the players would respond if they did go into, you know, some teams, they go out there and go, wow, this is a great opportunity to regroup, and this is a good thing. Like you mentioned, they've used a lot of arms in game one. However, you know, some teams go out there and they, you know, it demoralizes them. Hey, we lost two games to teams that we are clearly better than on paper and in, in many ways better than, and that can be demoralizing, so... Yeah, I, I'm with you, though, overall. You don't want to go 0-2. Look, do I want to win the conference tournament? Absolutely. Who doesn't? But at the end of the day, like you said, it could be a blessing in if they get knocked out a little early. Because now, I mean, they would have to play a lot of games. And you want fresh yeah. arms. However, I guess the good thing is now you would have, you know, the, your normal four days off between um, the conference tournament and the regional but still, it would be nice to, especially with some of the guys been banged up. Trey's been banged up. Obviously, we're not gonna get to didn't get to use John yeah. Groves yesterday. I don't know what that umpire was thinking, but we can we can we make go a whole show on
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> the sandwich show. Uh, oh. He'll probably. I would assume Gross would start Friday, and we'll talk about the path ahead because. Um, I did some research yesterday, Philip. No team in the American Athletic Conference tournament has ever lost the game, gone in the losers bracket, and then come back to make the championship game. Let alone win it. But no team has ever come out of the losers bracket to to make the championship. Which is it's hard to believe on one hand because like you you kind of feel like one team would eventually do that. But at the same time, you just you have to overcome so much because let's say in ECU's case, you lose Tuesday. Now you got to come back and win Wednesday. You got to come back and win Friday, and then the toughest part is winning two games on Saturday against a team that has only played two games, whereas you're going into your fourth and fifth game. So, it's just uh, it's just a hard path. But the only way to get there is to take it one game at a time. It's cliche, and ECU at least is is on the path to potentially make that happen.
2: They are, and the biggest reason I guess it maybe doesn't surprise me is the fact that. What is the identity of this conference? Bad bullpens. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're going to have to use your bullpen in order to do what they do. But you're right. The Pirates do take it one game at a time. And you know this is the team. And you know Cliff Godwin preaches it, but I do truly see it with the attitude of the players. That one game does not carry over into the next game, really good or bad. And we even take you back to that Tulane series, you know, when they came back and won game one, which ended up finishing yeah. on Saturday. That hype didn't get into Game 2. Unfortunately, they didn't play good in Game 2. And then Game 3, they came out, and it was nothing like the p- poor game that was Game 2. So, yeah, I think this team very do- very much does take every game individually. So, that's definitely a benefit in the situation they're in right now.
1: Yeah, definitely from a-, a pitching standpoint. You can tell Cliff Godwin takes it uh, one game at a time, we got some conference tournament action on in the studio. So Houston just uh, held off Wichita State 4-3 to in the morning game. That game was scheduled for last night, of course, with the delays. That game was postponed till this morning. Uh, so Wichita State, two and done after their coach gets the coach of the year. Uh, they are eliminated. They are the second team out of the AAC tournament along with Cincinnati. Houston moves on to tomorrow. So they kind of lose the advantage of getting the day off after uh, the loser bracket game like ECU does today. ECU will await the loser of UCF and South Florida. That game is scheduled for 1 o'clock, I believe. I believe so, yeah. So uh, the Pirates, and, and, you know, if I'm ECU, I almost want South Florida to win that game because I feel like it's easier to beat USF twice if it comes down to it versus UCF twice. I feel like South Florida is a much worse team, especially on the mound. And, yes, we did just see them come back against ECU. But I think you take your chances because we talked about it. the bullpen. The only way you're going to come out of the loser's bracket is to outpitch somebody and, of course, outhit him too. But you got to have some bullpen depth. And I think ECU would have a better chance of doing that against South Florida on Saturday. A lot between now and then. But that's just kind of my head thinking ahead.
2: Yeah, that's. I was thinking the same thing, actually, uh, before the show because um, I was actually going to bring up that exact point. Yeah. You know, South Florida's bullpen – um we saw it this week this past weekend. and we got into the bullpen bad things happened for the bulls and you know you mentioned that second game on Saturday if you, if you make it to that point it's going to be a strict bullpen day there's not going to be any starters left so um i mean maybe their midweek guy i guess could you know would be starting by then or something but you know um at the end of the day you're not saying central florida's bullpen is anything Spectacular, right. but I still think they're a deeper bullpen. They're a deeper team all around, and also they can hit the ball more than just one through five. You know, um, to have to beat that team twice would be a lot tougher. Whereas, you know, I mean, I don't want to call it an automatic four outs at the bottom of the Bulls lineup, but after you get past those first five hitters, yeah. the batting average drops off about a hundred points per batter after their top five hitters. Those guys at the top of the
1: order are scary. UCF can also hit the ball out of the ballpark. We got the Big 12 tournament on, and Kansas State is leading Texas four nothing in an elimination game. And Texas had a chance and may still host, but interesting. And we can talk about this in our our segment after talking to Amanda Moore. But Texas, Oklahoma State, West Virginia all went to the Big 12 tournament with hosting aspirations, and I think all three of them lost in the opening round. And now Texas on the verge of being eliminated as they trail four nothing. In the seventh inning, and Kansas State still has the bases loaded, so it's just it makes you wonder: what if ECU could have maybe pulled out that Tuesday game and stayed in the winners' bracket and be on the path of a conference championship? Could they be lining up a host spot right now? But we'll continue to monitor that situation uh, throughout the show and throughout the days ahead. Let's talk about last night's game specifically a little bit, Philip, and we'll start with the decision to go to Trey Savage because I feel like that was uh, a, a huge decision by Cliff Godwin and. I don't know if it's ideal, but, again, one game at a time. And the thing is, Trey Savage looked like a man possessed on the mound. He just came in firing absolute BBs. They did not have a radar gun. I don't know how the conference doesn't have a radar gun for the conference tournament, for the broadcast. But either way, strikes out the side. He did walk a batter on a close pitch, but got the job done. And unlike on Tuesday when ECU failed to close out the game, they go to Trey Savage, and he left no doubt.
2: Yeah, you know it's interesting when the break happened, the commercial break right between Scooter said you're ready for a uh, a controversial guy entering and I said, "Who is it?" And he said, "Trey is Savage." And I'm in a group chat with with Wags as well as some other people who work at ECU. And um, there, some of us were for it, some of us were against it. I was very much for it because I was like, "Bring in the energy guy. You gotta win the game. Come out, You gotta win this. Yeah. Game. There is no tomorrow, right? right? I mean, this is a losers bracket. There is no tomorrow." And uh, like you said, I mean, he came out like you. I mean, you said it perfectly. A man possessed and Cliff Godwin knew that he was going to come out that way because he's talking to these guys in the dugout. You know, he doesn't just look down the bench and and call out a random name, and uh, I think he knew exactly who he was going to and what kind of performance he was going to get out of the guy he was going to, and that was a performance that was going to win the Pirates that game, and you can worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, but you had to win that game last night.
1: And I kind of like this move from the standpoint of it. Look, it's obviously you wants Trey Savage to go out and start a regional game, and a super regional game, but you never know once you get into the postseason and if there's a scenario where you're in a similar situation and you're trying to close out a regional and maybe Trey wants to come back on short rest and close out a game. Like now you know you can put him back in that spot and he's going to be ready to go. So, I, you know, I don't have a problem with the move. He also only threw about 20 pitches. He could conceivably come back and start Saturday. I mean, he could start Friday, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'll be gross. But uh, now if you're a Cliff Goblin and you kind of have to map out, hey, how much do we want to push these guys with regional starting next Friday, which we'll get into that discussion later as well. So, uh, But then Danny Bill, Carter Spivey also came back a day after throwing 40-plus pitches apiece. They both go multiple innings. Carter Spivey has been dominant against Cincinnati this year. He is not allowed a run now in over 10 innings, close to 11 innings. Danny Bill four strikeouts and two and a third to keep ECU in it. And then the offense did enough. And um, really good answer after the delay, after both delays, I guess you could say. But I thought that if you're going to have a, a lengthy delay, Phillip, I would choose to have it after the opposing team hits a go-ahead grand slam against me because that's one way to just absolutely kill momentum.
2: It is. And, you know, the fact that, you know, we kind of mentioned it earlier, Cincinnati was in that game because of two swings. So ECU, I think, to that point had played better. But because of that grand slam, Cincinnati had the momentum. And that killed the momentum and let the better team, you know, even out the momentum, restart the game in a way. Yes, you're... You're still losing by a run, but it almost became a new game, and that's what Coach O kept talking about on the broadcast is it's a new game. It's Teams have to refill each other out, and when that happens, that always, I think, is going to play to the, or has the – shouldn't say always going to play the benefit of their team, has the opportunity, a bigger opportunity to play to the more talented team, the more talented roster, and undoubtedly that's the East Carolina Pirates in this situation.
1: Jacob Starlin had the big two-run double, really kind of a flare that fell in. It was, um, you know, it's always better to be lucky than good, but he got the bat on the ball uh, in a crucial situation. Lane Hoover was just an epic slide at home plate to get around that tag. Uh, After review, it was ruled he was safe. That gives ECU... The 8-6 lead, they add on late, and then you Savage closed it down. But uh, I thought one of the keys, too, was getting the Cincinnati reliever, the one reliever that seemingly ECU can't figure out, Mitch White, out of the game. He had gone four and a third hitless ball against ECU in Cincinnati a few weeks ago. Comes out after the delay, and ECU just striking out left and right, and all of a sudden, finally, he runs out of gas. I believe that was the sixth inning. Because he came back after a four-hour delay and uh, just kept pitching like he,
2: like the game was just rolling on. Yeah, well, he came back the four to play and was pitching that way. But then I think kind of what hosed yeah. him was that second delay 100%. because you know he sat his normal, we'll call it three minutes or between innings, you know, between half innings. Then you know, um, Bill comes out there gets the two outs. Well, then you got to wait another twenty minutes for that. Uh, lightning delay, so that ended up almost being like one of those, i want to say he was down for close to 40 minutes, probably, by the yeah. time it was all said and done, and having to come back a second time after four hours, and then another 40 minutes, which I know in normal terms would just be a really long inning, but... It wasn't that, and the fact that, you know, they even mentioned on the broadcast the guys were trying to warm up, but they had to throw the ball against the wall and catch it themselves because it was dark. You couldn't actually play catch. You know, normally during a long inning, a guy got on the bullpen and throw. Well, right. you can't go throw if you can't see. Somebody got beamed in the head.
1: What a disaster that was. Luckily, well, the lights like did come back on, and ECU ended up winning the game 9-6. to All right, got to get our first break in. On the other side, we'll visit with Women's Lacrosse Coach Amanda Moore. Talk about their program' best ten-win season. We will visit with her on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.
0: i back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Iko
1: on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors 94.3 The Game studios. It is a Thursday. May 25th edition of the show. We talked a lot of ECU baseball earlier. We'll get more into that discussion, the path ahead at the American Athletic Conference Tournament here in a little bit. But first, we're going to switch gears, talk some ECU women's lacrosse. We have the head coach of the program on the phone. She is Amanda Moore. Amanda, welcome into the program.
3: Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having
1: me. Absolutely, Amanda. Well, I wanted to get you on to recap a a, a really great season for you guys, 10 wins the most in program history, and really y'all were on the verge of potentially making the postseason at times throughout the year, and we'll get into that as far as the NCAA tournament uh, as well. But just wanted to first touch on the season that was, 10 wins, the progress you guys have made as a startup program since you took over six years ago. How proud of you, are of your coaching staff, your girls, and everybody
3: involved? Really proud, Steven. You know, I feel like we had another year of great growth in our program. We had some good momentum coming out of twenty twenty two season and felt like this season we were able to build on that. You know, we're we're sort of out the doors. You just gotta kick kick them down, man.
1: Yeah, and I was gonna ask, y'all, y'all, we're ten and three at one point and look, the American is no joke in Women's Across. These teams, looking at them yes, sir. uh just across the board, you've got teams that are clearly affiliated with the SEC that are part of the American in this uh, women's lacrosse hybrid conference. You guys played Florida. You played North Carolina, which is the top five team. you had to go on the road to Temple, which has a national championship in its history. Y'all had to play James Madison. And uh, several times in these games down the stretch, y'all were close. And, you know, what, what can y'all learn from that as a program, as a team, to maybe, you know, finish the deal going forward in those types of outings?
3: Yeah, you know, we, we really learned a ton. I mean, we had to play at the University of Florida twice this year as number seven team in the country. Um, you know, and getting them in the AAC tournament, um, playing them, playing them close just really, I think, helped solidify, you know, where we, where we have gone, come as a program, you know, and it got our girls pretty jazzed just that we were, we were competing, we were ready, we were right there. And then on the flip side at the end, really upset that we didn't, didn't have what it took to finish you know, right there in that fourth quarter stretch. So, I mean, really motivating, to say the least, but I'm really proud that our team wasn't celebrating any moral victories, too. They were hungry. They wanted it again. They wanted more. We didn't want it to end.
1: We're visiting with Amanda Moore, ECU Women's Across Head Coach. And, Amanda, you took over a startup program six years ago. Uh, I believe it's your first head coaching job, so when you – when you got that job, how, how daunting of a task was it? I'm sure you were, you were thrilled for the opportunity. And how much have you learned over the, these handful of years uh, on the job, trying to, to build a program from scratch and build what's become a really strong program?
3: Yeah, you know, I was thrilled by the opportunity to, to move to Greenville, start my family in Greenville, and start my head coaching career in Greenville for ECU. Um, my mentor and my former coach did it uh, at UNC. So, you know, I have sort of had, had some groundwork, uh, you know, i have seen that um, and been a part of that as a player. So the opportunity to do that for myself um, with a program was really something that, that excited me. But it was, uh, Stephen, you're right, it was a little bit of a daunting task, um, you know, getting a team off the ground before the transfer portal uh, with early recruiting. Um, so it's, just, it's even that much more rewarding to see where the team, the program, the players, and the staff that we've had has, has brought it in six years.
1: What was the hardest part, you know, specifically about t- taking over a program and, and building it from scratch? Was there a specific area that challenged you the most?
3: Um, this, <laughs> um, this might be more of a personal challenge. Uh, I think, you know, our first year we had 24 freshmen, I think what it was, um, and of course i just been coming off uh, coaching as, as an assistant coach at Duke University, we had, we'd been in the Final Four, so... You know, you're going from that level of play to really, you know, more managing 24 freshmen and what it was to be a Division One student athlete. Um, you know, just I don't want to say you were you're managing more than coaching. So those first two years, just trying to trying to get girls off the ground. You know, help them learn how to navigate being a college student athlete um, more so than an elite uh, competitive athlete uh, was probably pretty challenging. Um, just with the competitive spirit uh, that I know a lot of our, our staff has. Uh, but it, it was still very rewarding. And, again, really proud of those, those girls that made it out of that first class. Really special and are always going to be near and dear to my heart.
1: Notice that looking at the roster and, and some of the key players for you guys, you all have used uh, the transfer portal at times to your advantage, but also have had some homegrown talent really I- improve and develop over time. So what has that blend been like as far as trying to find the right fit you know, what areas to recruit as well, because, you know, lacrosse in North Carolina, not as big as other parts of the country, but you have, of course, recruited locally as along with nationally. So what is kind of that blend trying to figure out what exactly works at East Carolina for lacrosse?
3: Yeah. Um, so, you know, lacrosse, the hotbed is really in the mid-Atlantic, um, you know, states um, up towards, you know, and, and I think really far north for us as um, in New York, Long Island, Baltimore, uh, D.C., Virginia area. We've got I think the most North Carolina women's club, and this was true last year. I'll have to see if it's going to be true for this upcoming season. The most North Carolina native players um, than any other division one school in the state of North Carolina, um, which is really exciting. So for us, it was finding that blend of in-state talent, keeping the talent here in-state, but then also finding the the hotbed, uh, you know, perennial powers, high school and club programs, and, and bringing them down to Greenville. So, um, but we've got players as far uh, as far from home as Texas. Um, you know, we've had players from Florida, Georgia, um, all up and down the Eastern Seaboard, and and one from Colorado as well, um, which is really really cool um, to see that that diversity, um, you know, regionally in our sport. Uh, but for us, yeah, and, and with the transfer portal too. You know, we've we've seen success of Power Five players that you know maybe they were playing on the West Coast and they wanted to be closer to home, um, coming to play on the East Coast. Or maybe it was just a, a different college feel and fit. Um, maybe we recruited them originally. Um, they'd gotten to school and decided they wanted something a little bit different, um, and kind of circled back to us. So um, it's 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 been evolving, um, right? And so you know, it's too. It's different for us. We where we were. We started a program, so we were new. Nobody knew about us. Um, to now being a little bit more established, the level of athletes that we're able to recruit um, and attract the experience, right of these. So, committed
1: to ECU. We're visiting with Amanda Moore, ECU women's lacrosse head coach. And yeah, looking at the schedule, and I was looking at everybody's RPI for the opponents uh, heading into this interview. And man, y'all, y'all don't have many breaks at all. Uh, and, and you challenge yourself non conference wise along with the American, like I clearly. You've been on staff at places in the state. You went to North Carolina, so you have those connections to allow you to schedule places like Duke, North Carolina, but even Mercer's got a great program. So how happy Mm -hmm. are you with the the scheduling you guys have been able to do, and do you want to kind of continue that philosophy moving forward?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you want a good balance in your schedule. I think for us this year, the fact that we got Duke and UNC to come here to ECU to play was huge. I mean, just in terms of the exposure – that that brought to our program, to our facilities, to our school, because all of those games are on ESPN Plus. Recruits and families are coming through. Maybe younger siblings are coming through to see that. Um, you know, and for us, too, in our sport, when you talk about scheduling com- um, competitively, JMU is also in our conference. And I know um, your listeners may not know this, Stephen, but they won a national championship, I think it was four or five seasons ago, 2018, is highly competitive. And I think, you know, when, you, when you're scheduling tough teams, you know, you're exposing your school and your program to those programs. And when you're able to compete, right, like really compete, keep it close. And maybe you're stealing wins from a top-10 team because that's where we want to be. You know, just it just sets you up, right, for that next level of play and, and begin to grow the program and, and grow the, the brand, right, for ECU across.
1: And I noticed on social media a handful of your girls announced they're going to return for their fifth season of eligibility, Maddie Kircher, Ellie Bromley, Caroline Kimmel, and Peyton Barr. How important are those ladies to your program? And then just the, the roster outlook going into next year, how much experience will you guys return across the board, and do you feel like you guys will have a pretty good lacrosse team?
3: Um, I feel just elated uh, that the uh, those four fifth years are coming back I mean Caroline Kimmel has just been I mean she was an all region, all American player for us uh this past year, which is really, really exciting. Huge deal. Um her and Alice Jacklin are our defense returning um as leaders in both offense and the defense is huge. Ellie Bromley, um coming back for a fifth year, Apex Native, um Apex North Carolina Kimmel, uh, Caroline Kimmel is a Durham North Carolina native, um, uh, for all of our N C listeners. Um you know, they're both two returning captains and Maddie Kircher is another anchor of our defense and Peyton Barr, um, whose parents actually relocated in New Bern, uh, crazy enough, uh, is uh is coming back after an injury and she was somebody who was in that first line of cities for us. So to have that experience coming back is huge and just also really excited about the freshman class we're welcoming, we're welcoming ten freshmen. Um and I think the we're gonna see a few of them in each position making a mark on the field for us this spring.
2: Amanda, Philip Pilkington here. You know, you mentioned the experience um, of your players, and then as well we were already talking about the schedule. How well do you think, you know, last year, obviously you made the conference tournament for the first time, didn't go as well as it did this year, but then this year you guys – had already seen Florida. I mean obviously you can play everybody in your conference, but you guys had already seen those top tier teams so many times throughout the season. Once you got to that conference tournament this year, how much do you think this year's experience against playing top teams, as well as that, you know, that trip to the conference tournament last year, well, I guess it wasn't really a trip. It was here in Greenville, but that appearance yeah. in the conference tournament last year, you know, helped your team grow for, for this year.
3: I mean, I think any of those experiences are significant, especially when you're building a program. I mean, we had so many young players that I mean, no one on our team had ever been in the conference tournament last year, the 2022 season, and to have all of them return and have that having had that experience, that hunger, right? It didn't just mean that we were we were hungry to make the tournament in 2023. We were hungry to like make it and win, right? And I think that. Having that experience of making it in 22 is what propelled us in 2023. And now, you know, we went in this past season as the number three seed. Well, great. We just raised the bar again. We didn't make it as the four seed. We made it as the three seed. Now we need to make it as the three seed or better. And we truly, truly, you know, on our vision board, when we make that this fall, we're putting, you know, the goal to win a conference championship up there. And is it going to be a really hard goal to team? Yes. But our girls now have it in their eyes that it's it's within our reach. It's within our grasp.
1: Amanda, for for fans who maybe have not been out to see you guys play in person, give us a sales pitch and uh, just watching the games on TV and and walking by the stadium and, you know, when I'm on the way to cover baseball or whatever, it sounds like a crazy atmosphere. It looks like a crazy atmosphere. And I know it's a lot of fun for the girls to play in. So next season, come next spring, uh, tell us why Pirate Nation should show up to support this team.
3: Oh, my gosh, fastest sport on two feet. I mean, it's it's a sport for every sports fan. Um, if you've never seen the game of lacrosse, it just combines all the elements of basketball, lacrosse, on a soccer-sized field, high-scoring, uh, physical. I mean, I think people would be astonished at how physical and fast these athletes are on the field, how fierce they are, um, you know. Everybody loves uh, goal-scoring, of course. In women's lacrosse, you score a goal. And there's a stick tech after it, but in, the, in between, the girls are slamming their sticks um, to the ground. It's just a really exciting, dynamic sport, a fun atmosphere. Our parents, if you're, if you're coming by, our parents usually have a big tailgate uh, set up outside the stadium, too. You'll see uh, one of our dads dressed up as a pirate for every game, um, giving, giving Petey a run for his money. But would love to get more fans in the stands. Had a great turnout this season for our local youth players. Um, you know, it's just a really fun, dynamic sport.
1: She's Amanda Moore. Amanda, we'll have to get you in studio down the line as well to keep promoting this program because you're doing a tremendous job, and congrats on a a great season. I know you're going to continue to even take this thing to the next level. But thanks for your time on today's program.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. I'd love to love to get in the studio. Anything I can do to, to promote the work that our girls are doing on and off the field. Appreciate
1: it. Absolutely. That's Amanda Moore, ECU women's lacrosse head coach. We'll have her back down the line, definitely. All right, on the other side, we're going to talk some more baseball. We'll also maybe share some more thoughts on women's lacrosse. We got a comment as well on uh, Facebook. But that was that was a fun interview, Philip. I'm, I'm excited about uh, next season already, man.
2: Yeah, no, that was. And, you know, she mentioned the parents tailgating. That was the hardest part about pa <laughs> lacrosse right. is it's like the, you're walking down the sidewalk and they're offering you many adult beverages. They've got blenders out there if you like more fruity drinks. They've got beer as well. And it's like, yeah, I think Justin would be a little mad if I showed up to PA with alcohol in my breath. So maybe I should go as a fan more and not just work all the games because it's really fun to go as a fan. Yeah,
1: that sounds like a great atmosphere, man. Just watching some of the games on TV this year made me want to get out there. So I'm looking forward to getting out there next spring and appreciate Amanda again for joining us. All right, let's get our second break in on the other side. We'll talk some baseball. We've got the conference tournaments going on around the country. We'll talk about ECU's path ahead. Is there still a shot to host, Philip? We'll get into that discussion on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.
0: We're live with Steven Igo on 94.3 The Game. I'm the Johnny Riser. Now back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back into Hoist the
1: Colors, 94.3 The Game. Philip Pilkington in studio alongside. We just talked to Amanda Moore. EC women's lacrosse head coach. Great stuff with the interview. We had Johnny Gardner comment on Facebook, and he says, uh, excited we have a future class student-athlete coming in that is an offspring of a lacrosse royalty family. So... (laughs) I, I don't know who that is. Uh, I follow recruiting closely with football and baseball and basketball. I'll have to try and – I'll say we're effort, efforting to find out who the uh, – We have. We, I sent
2: a couple texts out, so ho- hopefully we can
1: get we're, some – We're reaching out to our sources. and uh, we'll, uh, But, yeah, that was good stuff, and definitely get out and support this team uh, going forward as Amanda's doing a great job with the program. A couple more comments on social media. Steve Hill wants to know, what is the likelihood – that ECU hosts a regional if the Pirates went out? Oh man, this is a loaded question because the problem is, Phillip, and I, I still think ECU would host if they went out, simply from the standpoint of the Pirates have to win four more games. That would make them 46 and 16. They would be conference champs in the regular season and in the tournament of a top 10 league in the RPI. They would have a number 12 non-conference strength of schedule. The only concern I have is where the RPI is, and right now it sits at 28. And you look at the teams ahead, ECU gained, I think, four RPI points, which is basically nothing by beating Cincinnati. If they beat South Florida, they're going to gain very little, if any. UCF is kind of the only RPI game left on their side of the bracket to gain points. So you're just not going to move up a whole lot in the RPI. Some teams will lose, like Texas right now is losing. They're going to drop behind ECU as a result of losing this game if if this score holds as we record this right now. That would be my only hang-up. Also, the odds of winning out are extremely tough. But I think if ECU finds a way to do that, I think they do host. But I just don't know if that's going to
2: happen. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. They're they went out and they're not going to have a top 16 RPI. And I, yeah. I knew going into yesterday, Jonathan texted me and said that we lose four points just by beating, or sorry, not yesterday, on Tuesday. Yeah. If we would have beat South Florida, still would have lost four yeah, points. Yeah, so, you lose, lose. Yeah, we're not going to be top 16. I don't think there's a path that we can be top 16. So I think it all comes down to how much the committee takes RPI into factor and how much they just take in record conference right. champion and what. You know, we kind of mentioned it, I want to say Monday on the show, you can only control what you can control. And we control it by playing a very tough out-of-conference schedule and with the exception of those Campbell games, beating the good teams. So um, I think, yeah, it's still probably pretty high. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, West Virginia lost their first-round game. So did Texas. So did Kansas State. Those raw teams, they're probably going to host. I think the Big 12 still gets a host. Yeah. But if they get one as opposed to two... Could that be ECU's spot to take? Obviously, I think it's going to depend on kind of what the other mid-majors do, you know. Does Indiana State win their conference tournament? What about Campbell? What about Coastal Carolina? So um, the fact that Duke will not win their conference tournament, I think, is a huge help yeah. that they kind of fell off. But So to answer his question, my opinion, I say you went out you got a 60% chance maybe of hosting if you I, went out. Maybe I, on I
1: agree with that. I mean, you look at some of these teams that are higher than ECU in the RPI, like Duke they're not going to advance in the ACC tournament, even if they beat Miami. So they're 20-plus in the RPI. They only have 35 wins. They're not going to have a conference championship. Uh, we mentioned Texas. They're about to lose. Um, you know, North Carolina State's ahead of ECU in the RPI. They're clearly not going to host a regional. So so you have teams ahead of ECU in the RPI that aren't going to host. Auburn's on that hosting bubble. Campbell was on that hosting bubble. So if you want to be – If you want to make things interesting and have a shot, I think you have to win the conference title. Um, And we'll get into the path to do that here in a minute. But I I do think if the Pirates somehow find a way, they would would host. I just think, like, 46-win ECU, man, like, that's a lot. That would be probably – I'm looking over these teams now. That would be one of the highest win totals in the country with a 12 non-conference strength of schedule. You know, RPI – Mid-20s, I think, still gets you there because last year A&M, Texas A&M, was a 22 RPI and they were a national seed because they won the SEC West. So I feel like the committee has shown they won't just look at RPI if you have other things to go along with it. But they got to accomplish a lot to make that happen. But I think it's, it's fair to have this conversation as we sit here on a Thursday off day.
2: I think it is. And, you know, the unfortunate thing, though, is if they won the SEC West was the argument. You won the American. You won a one-bid league. Great. That's what worries me. It's it's not the RPI as much as it's the fact that it really right. is a one-bid league. This in the past has been a two-bid league usually. You know, usually it'll be somebody else get in. Obviously, Wichita State's solid. Houston's solid. But I don't think either one of those teams are getting in the tournament. So, yeah. you wonder if they view it. Well, it was a one-bid league. You what? somebody bid steal. You barely won the conference tournament or the conference regular season, and you did it because somebody got lucky with a rainout. That's that's kind of what worries me. But hey, Campbell's got Gardner Webb today. Maybe maybe go Bulldogs, and Campbell can fall to Gardner Webb, and you know a few of these other mid majors. Coastal Carolinas playing. and I think they're playing right now, actually. Yeah, I
1: think Coastal's a yeah, up- lock. The they're
2: probably a lock. Yeah, Indiana
1: State is one where I think they're trending towards hosting, despite a two and nine, top fifty. I, I don't know what their conference tournament situation is, but I think enough of these. They already have a win over UIC, and then they play another game in the winners bracket. You yeah, know they them, play them, Belmont, and they. Yeah, them and Dallas Baptist and Campbell. I think those teams right now are probably ahead of ECU in the pecking order just based on RPI. But, again, the Pirates, if they win the conference tournament, they can get back in that conversation. And, look, the NCAA can say that they view all things equally, but if you have the chance to stack ECU, Clark LeClaire Stadium against Campbell, Indiana State, and Dallas Baptist when it comes to revenue and making money, uh, I think it's hard to keep ECU out of that conversation. So if the Pirates put themselves in that position – I think it's possible, but again, I think they have to win the tournament. I think making the championship probably is enough because the problem is, Philip, if they would have beat USF, they'd be in the the high twenties in RPI. It, you know, they could make it to Sunday, and then just by virtue of losing to Houston or whoever, they're going to fall probably close to thirty in the RPI because every loss in this league
2: just kills you, man. It's unfortunate, but that's just how weak the league is. Yeah, it does, and you know, you know, we kind of talked earlier about. The fact we'd rather play South Florida twice than Central Florida twice. Yeah. Maybe I retract that statement for RPI reasons you might want to play. Not that Central Florida's got a great RPI, but it's it's a heck of a lot better yeah. than South Florida that's I believe is in the two hundreds actually. UCF is one oh
1: five in yeah, the so RPI. That's not terrible. So they could technically not if pretty. they if they beat South Florida today. And just by virtue of playing ECU a couple times, they could end up being a top 100 team. Yeah. And that that could add to your resume as well. But it's definitely a much tougher path. And let's get into that conversation. Uh, It's a much tougher path to to beat UCF twice, although it could help your resume more because I think UCF is a much more complete team. So then it comes down to the conversation of is that much of an RPI bump really worth it to the committee? I still say, you go for the conference championship, and then maybe yeah. that outweighs the RPI. But uh, you just don't know what the committee is going to value. But let's look at the rest of this week. All right, ECU plays the loser of UCF and South Florida on Friday. That game is going on today, this afternoon, shortly after the show. We'll get off the air, and we'll see what transpires there. I think South Florida actually beat them during the regular season series in the old um, – I think
2: – I want to say they may have taken four out of six. Yeah,
1: in the old uh, Florida rivalry. We're on I-4. Yeah, we're on I-4. So um, – I don't know. I mean, I think South Florida just doesn't have the pitching depth long-term to win this tournament. I do think they can win this game. But for ECU, Josh Groves has to start Friday, I would say. I think you're already kind of running short on arms. The good news is you get today to to reconvene, collect, and you should have guys like Saylor. We saw Danny Beal clearly bounce back pretty well, but I don't think you want to ride those guys too hard, but you should have Sailor back. Gin could, could come back. Uh, Tyler Brought could come back. Josh Gross, you could come back Saturday. You know Eric Ritchie could come back. So you got some arms. But I think in order to make a run, unless you're just going to score a ton of runs, you're going to need a good start from Gross uh, Friday.
2: Yeah, that's the weird thing. It's like you want Groves to go deep because you want to save other guys, but in a way, like. You want to maybe have Groves Sunday, in a way? Yeah. It's almost like you, you need a spectacular event where Groves throws seven innings and throws, like, 75 pitches. I mean, you just need something right. uh, Something that is possible but not probable is kind of what you need. And looking at the South Florida-Central Florida thing, by the way, they split three and three okay. during the regular season. The home team in each series dropped two out of three, actually. So,
1: no, so, so neutral the neutral site games. Winner take all.
2: For the final ever War on I-4 in the American Athletic Conference.
1: Unless, of course, uh,
2: (laughs) No, whoever loses is getting beat by the (laughs) fire on Friday. There
1: you go. Uh, So, yeah, we'll see, man. But I think the Josh Groves thing, I would expect him to start Friday. He was suspended for yesterday's game after the... So, it was misreported like eight times. First, it was a hot dog. Then it was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It turns out it was a Jersey Mike's sandwich is what it was.
2: So, what did he do? I I thought he just handed it to him.
1: I think he... I, by virtue of walking on the field with a sandwich, it became a prop. I think if you stay in the dugout, it, you can do whatever. So I've seen teams like Texas A&M, they've got like a cart. They're willing guys around yeah, in, like in the, the dugout. Sox, yeah. And so like as long as you don't enter the field of play, but how dumb is it that you take a sandwich on the field? It's not like he's throwing it at the umpire.
2: So my question to the NCAA or this jerk umpire is, if it would have been a bottle of water, would you have thrown the guy out? Because I have it, yeah. if it is food, water, that all comes in the same. But now, if you hand it to him and he starts dancing with it in his hand, then it becomes a prop. Or he right. opens it and starts eating it. But I think if you hand someone something that's not a piece of clothing, that's not a some sort of weapon, you know, some team's got a sword or yeah, there's, whatever. There's nothing I mean, you about it. Yeah, I think a Gatorade bottle, a bottle of water, piece of food. I mean, it's, it'd be different if it was like a lobster, and they're over there like showing the yeah. face of the lobster up against the camera or something. I don't know, but it's a sandwich. Like, it's so dumb. Like I said, go hand them a bottle of Aquafina water. Is it the same?
1: Yeah, it probably is. Sadly, I mean, let's it, just—I just don't understand why we can't use common sense. Um, and the, the shame of it is, we didn't really get to see a good replay of what exactly happened. I, somebody said he like put it in Starlin's mouth. I guess the sandwich, but Uh-oh. like even even still, yeah. if, if he did that. I mean, the guy's walking back to the dugout. It's not like he's carrying a sandwich out the home plate. So,
2: well, um, you know what NCA stands for? No celebrations at all. We learned that in college football. That's what it looks for.
1: That it yeah. looks like, and that's it. Just added to a very frustrating Tuesday. But hey, we're past Tuesday. We're moving <laughs> forward. <laughs> we survived, and uh, the Pirates are moving on. The play in Friday. All right, let's get our final break in. On the other side, we got a uh, follow up comment from Johnny about the lacrosse player, which we'll talk about. And uh, we'll wrap up the show next with some more baseball discussion. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Hey,
0: what's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me happening. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the studio,
1: wrapping up our show. Philip Pilkington alongside... Stephen Igo bringing you home, hoisted colors 94-3, the game. All right, we we're try- We were trying to figure out. Johnny Gardner keeps dropping these hints on our Facebook page about the uh, Women's across commit. Johnny, you know you could have just told us her name. You can't commit a violation. She is a commitment. I don't believe she signed. Johnny said uh, basically should be good for the program having a father of a commitment and two uncles that are tremendous successful ambassadors of the sport. So I believe. He is talking about Bella Powell, 2024 class, whose dad, Casey Powell, is a former U.S. lacrosse national team captain. And uh, she also has two uncles, Ryan and Mike, as well, involved in the sport. So she'll be a uh, class of 2024 commit. We cover a lot of recruiting on Hoist the Colors, 24-7 Sports. There's your lacrosse recruiting update. According to the site I'm looking at, there's already 10 commitments for EC Williams Lacrosse in 2024. So... They are uh, they're doing doing work out there.
2: They are, and that's big, especially in the area of the portal, where everybody's trying yeah. to recruit the portal and everything. It means there's there's a lot of sometimes untapped potential coming in from upcoming freshmen in any sport, and uh, it's big to, that they can do that, or that you know, Coach Moore can get that. I mean, they had a couple of big um, transfers in this year. Yeah. Sydney Frank comes to mind. She's very good defensively, but uh, it's important to get those freshmen too to build them up and. You know, br- bring them up through your culture.
1: No doubt, you got to have them. You know, I think both ways, and a lot of ECU coaches are focused on that kind of recruiting freshmen, but then supplementing through the portal, which I think is a great approach to have. Uh, the latest D1 baseball projections are out this morning. Philip and the Pirates are heading to Miami, at least according to their projections, not officially, folks. Uh, ECU would be the two seed in the Coral Gables Regional. TCU the three. Oral Roberts the four. So, I covered the ECU 2015 regional, Cliff Goblin's first regional at Miami. Guess what they gave us for uh, food at the regional? See if you can guess.
2: Uh, (laughs) I'm guessing because you're laughing it was bad. They just gave you some, like, really bum hot dogs. They gave
1: us a voucher for a milkshake for the entire regional. Really? So, like, for those that don't understand, when you're in the media and you go cover these Mm -hmm. events, usually you kind of have, like, a full spread. Like, when ECU hosts a regional... They have people cater. They yeah. have a whole tent set up prior to each game. Miami, in the ACC, which has unlimited money, let's just go to the concession stand and get a free milkshake.
2: Wow, so you had to buy all your own food, <laughs> yeah. and it was probably the food you bought was probably crappy. It was overpriced. It was I'm sure you felt bloated when you left there because I'm sure it was extremely unhealthy. That's the other thing with with ECU. We don't only get fed tasty stuff; I mean, it's pretty healthy stuff. I yeah. walk out of there actually feeling like I've had a, a good meal too. Yeah, this is if, if some for some
1: reason the 94-3 uh, the game team makes the trip. We're all just going to be coming back with milkshakes uh, for days. <laughs> Hopefully, they've updated their policy. I would hope, um, but Miami not a bad place to spend a few weeks. And I think I, I don't know how realistic East you going to Miami is, especially when you got Wake Forest, Clemson, in your own backyard. South Carolina is currently your projected host, but I wouldn't hate it. Um, I think I think it would be a winnable regional. We'll see. We'll see going forward what what happens again. There's just so much it changes daily. Miami right now, I projected 13 to host uh, right.
2: ECU. Did you get a text from an anonymous source? Um, what was the name you mentioned on that girl?
1: So, let's see, I just had it up. It is Bella Powell.
2: Okay. Uh, yep, yeah, that's what I'm getting. I'm getting... Uh, Casey Powell played at Syracuse and professionally. There you go. Well yep. Okay. So yeah, Bella Powell would be a twenty twenty four commit. So that is it. That is confirmation <laughs> from someone a source inside the E C U program. So we got uh we we did the
1: research on our own and then we got it confirmed. Right. We got true confirmed. reporters there we so go. that is uh that's big time stuff there. Well all right, Philip, that'll do it for the show today and again E C U baseball moves on. They'll play again tomorrow, ninety four three the game at one o'clock. We'll have the show tomorrow for you, we're actually going to have Mike Houston, ECU football coach, join us via the phone to talk about all the incoming transfers. But appreciate you hanging out today, man. Yes, thanks for having me. It's Absolutely. Fun. That's uh, Philip Pilkington. He'll be back tomorrow as well along with Coach Houston. You've been listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game.
0: Then, hoist the collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 The Game.